The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on what is promising to be the first day of spring. It doesn't quite feel like it out there today, but I am assured that by later on today, we will officially have entered the season known as spring. Bring it on. I think we're ready. In addition, we're also entering the period known as March Madness, which for many of us is the first day of spring. Followed, of course, by close second by opening day for the Tigers, which is coming up in just a few days as well. So, hope is on the way. Hey, coming up on today's program, uh, we're going to spend a little time talking with my friend Matt Friedman about Michigan State University, their response to the Nasser scandal, and of course, the notion that John Engler once again finds himself the subject of unflattering coverage around that issue. We'll talk a bit about that. Also, well, you know, the sun is going to be shining soon on our state as we approach spring and summer. Will the sun be shining on government anytime soon? Well, the state legislature took a step towards transparency yesterday, and I guess you can call it that, a step. At least the state House did. I don't think the Senate is going to act on it the way that it's written right now, and does what the House did in terms of making sure that the legislature and governor are open to FOIA really does much. We'll talk about that on the program today. And of course, as I mentioned, it is March Madness. I've got some thoughts on the tournament and this most wonderful time of the year. Stay with us for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Once again, everybody, really do appreciate you checking out the show today. Thanks very much. And I thought I'd begin today talking a little bit about what is going on at Michigan State University, because once again, the actions of former governor and former MSU interim president John Engler are in the spotlight. Now, Dana Nessel, the attorney general, if you read Deadline Detroit, pointed out the fact that he has been evasive, has not been willing to sit down for an interview in regards to how the university has handled the Nasser scandal and some other aspects of that scandal that they are looking into right now. Claims from Engler's legal team that he was not going to be in the state and would be unavailable to do an interview anytime soon uh, were undermined pretty pretty clearly when he showed up at the Michigan-Michigan State game not too long ago sitting courtside. So if he couldn't be in Michigan, clearly he could be at the game. It's not a good look. Deadline Detroit, of course, reported on this yesterday, and I thought I'd follow up just to get an idea of what kind of damage something like this. And it doesn't seem like a big deal to a lot of people, but from a public perception standpoint, it can matter. So when you want to talk about public relations and crisis communications, it's a good idea to talk to a professional. My friend Matt Friedman, of course, is one of the principals at Tanner Friedman, a longtime PR firm here in Metro Detroit. And of course, uh, they've got statewide clients as well. And he's a frequent guest on the program to talk about this. First of all, Matt, thank you for joining us today. But I do want to open up talking about the look that this has. Uh, John Engler making this mistake. He just can't seem to get out of his own way, even though he's no longer the president at Michigan State. No, and I, I, I think the university is doing a pretty good job. They're doing what they should be doing right now, which is taking care of business on their own campus. One of the things I said about this interim president is he should be working as hard as possible to be as forgettable as possible. And just make sure that the university is operating well, responding well, showing respect to victims, taking care of what I consider to be the basics, and then let a permanent successor have the spotlight. That seems to be happening, but John Angler cannot stay out of the spotlight himself. He continues to make a a spectacle of himself 
by ignoring the attorney general and saying he can't be available, and then being so conspicuous at the most high-profile athletic events that this university has had this year um, is just another sign that he has operated out of hubris and arrogance and little else, and he does not respond to PR counsel at all. Well, Matt, from your perspective, I mean, what should John Engler be doing right now? He, he is a fan of Michigan State University. He went to the school there. Uh, is an appearance at a basketball game something that he should just avoid? I, I mean, I watched it on television. As much as I'd like to sit courtside, it seems like maybe that was a better option. My advice to him would have been stay as low profile as possible. Uh, I think exile might be a good word to describe what he should be doing, but he can't do that. And if he has to go to the basketball game, because he's so big of a fan that maybe he could just be John from Beale City and sit in one of the other 20,000 seats at the United Center where he would be less obvious than sitting in the you know Jack Nicholson equivalent of the Big Ten tournament. Well, one of the things complicating this, of course, is that Dana Nessel, the attorney general, is, is chiming in, claiming that uh, John Engler and by extension the university is not being as cooperative and as forthcoming as they could be. Uh, this has been something that has been dogging Michigan State since the Nasser scandal began, whether or not they were concealing information, this perception that not everything was known, uh, and, and the transparency of the issue has been a problem all along. What is the impact on the public's perception, something like this? Does it make it seem as if the university is not taking this seriously enough? Yeah, one of the things, Craig, you and I have talked about, and we've asked each other this question over and over again now, is, is the university closer to the end of the crisis than they are to the beginning of the crisis? It felt like they were for a while, and then the Angler situation blew up back in January, and I said, no, they're no closer to being done than they are to the beginning of this. Then it kind of felt like maybe they were, and now you're right. All this does is brings attention to the fact that there are unresolved investigations, and there is still investigative work to be done, and that moves the university farther back. It seems like every time they've made two steps forward, they've taken three steps back, and they just can't get out of the way of this, and that continues. How, how damaging is this to Michigan State, given where we've already been? Yeah, it's a bad PR look, you know, it, without even considering the fact that he's been evasive, according to the attorney general. That makes it worse, and that makes it potentially damaging to the university, even just beyond this is the wrong thing to do when you're somebody who left office under very negative circumstances and not by his own choice. And, and what about John Engler's legacy here? Uh, can he damage it any worse than he already has uh, with his behavior throughout this uh, last year and a half? I, I don't think he's in any worse shape than he was in January when he left in disgrace. He's just the guy we thought he was. Yeah, this just reinforces the, uh, the rationale for his removal by the board members and others who wanted them out. I should remind folks, my guest once again is Matt Friedman. He's a principal at Tanner Friedman, an expert in public relations and crisis communications, joining us here to talk a little bit about Michigan State and former Governor John Engler. Uh, Matt, Matt, Michigan State, again, now has its attention focused on the scandal itself. They'd been moving beyond this. They had been making some strides. And frankly, this tournament run that they've been in is one of those sort of feel-good moments uh, that gets people back behind the university and makes them forget a little bit about some of the problems that they've been having. Now, what we now have is people looking at other aspects of this. It's not just about Larry Nasser anymore. It's about the aftermath of it. It's about whether or not certain debts were forgiven for board of trustees members uh, like George Perlis. 
Um, these are other things that people are looking into that the attorney general's office is looking into that now the public is more aware of. Can Michigan State afford to be claiming things like privilege when it comes to attorney-client records on documents related to this case, or do they need to be more forthcoming? The university needs to cooperate in this investigation in every possible way. Anything that looks like obstruction, it hurts their ability to move past the crisis. So I would like to see, as I've been calling for all along, some more leadership there that says, we don't care what this turns up. If it turns up something bad, that gives us more to fix. We're committed to moving on from this and doing everything possible to resolve any issues. If they're able to communicate that message, if they're able to get in front on a, as a leader when it comes to health and safety of students and athletes, it will put them in a great position going forward. And anything short of that will prohibit them and inhibit them from moving past this crisis. Yeah, I mean, if, if not for this incident with John Engler, I think the university would be more on its way to crisis recovery than they are otherwise. I was impressed with the board chair's response as reported by the Free Press today, that she too believes that Mr. Engler should cooperate with the attorney general. So if there's no official resistance from the university, it's basically all on him. But the university may have to now go out of its way to be clear about that. And all that does is put more attention to the scandal and bring more attention to the failed tenure of John Engler as interim president. And that's the not what the university needs right now if they're trying to move forward. Is there any indication that Michigan State's handling of this is impacting their search for a permanent president at this point? I mean, normally... Uh, this would be a job that would be a plum job. It's a fine institution, a large research university uh, with a really proud history and a large student body and a big alumni network. Normally, candidates would be coming out of the woodwork for a job like this. Any indication that has that that has not been the case this time around? They've done a really good job of conducting their presidential search in private, which it needs to happen if they're really going to go after great candidates who have really good jobs now. So as much as I'm an advocate for public universities being as public as possible, something like recruiting president candidates really does need to happen in secrets and maybe through back channels. There's no indication that they're having any trouble getting good candidates. But then again, there's no indication that they're getting good candidates. But you're right. This should be a prime job. There are not many of these jobs in the country. It's going to be a tough job, but they need to and really have an opportunity to hire a great candidate. Well, Matt Friedman, thank you very much. We certainly appreciate you being with us. Matt Friedman, again, a principal at Tanner Friedman, an expert in public relations and crisis communications, a frequent guest here on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Stay with us. We'll be back. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. I am Craig, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. I've talked about FOIA before, the Freedom of Information Act. I've talked about how difficult it can be as a government, former government employee, uh, to basically meet all the records requests that both citizens and reporters may have about what you're doing in the organization that you're working for. The public, according to Michigan law, has a right to all kinds of different records that government agencies do, especially municipal governments, county governments, local units of government, 
and agencies that work in the government, public authorities, things like that, are all subject to FOIA. And that's fine. In my office, we actually had a couple of different people that were working on meeting FOIA requests every day. And part of my job was to make sure that people who were looking for information were crafting it in such a way that they were going to find a way to get the information that they wanted, not get hit by a big bill, or get a bunch of records that maybe they weren't looking for just because they weren't exactly sure how to tailor it. And good organizations try to do that. What information are you looking for? Let me help you do this in a way that's going to make it tell you something, illuminate something. And there are a lot of loopholes in the FOIA law that, that can be exploited at times. For instance, if you write your FOIA request too broadly, again, you may end up getting a ton of records that are not relevant to what it is you're trying to find out. Now, some reporters, they want everything. That's fine. If they're in an organization that's willing to pay for that, that's great. And Michigan law basically says that organizations can be compensated for the time it takes them to put these records together. In addition, FOIA law also says that organizations don't need to create a new document if one does not exist that specifically meets that requester's purpose. Now, different states have different ways of doing this. Now, New York, for instance, has a different FOIA law than Michigan. Michigan's allowed to charge for documents. In New York, you're not allowed to charge for documents, but you are allowed to exempt a ton more stuff from public scrutiny. And in many instances, you know, it's private deliberations between, say, a mayor and his staff or a mayor and a, a constituent over uh, some development project or something like that. That stuff can be deemed email communication. That's all deliberative. Therefore, it's exempt. Not in Michigan. In Michigan, that stuff is allowable under FOIA law. You can get access to that stuff. But Michigan is allowed to charge you the amount of time it takes to actually compile that stuff. The amount of money you spend with lawyers to redact certain things that may have attorney-client privilege or privileged information of some kind. So FOIA laws are different in every single state. But one thing that has made Michigan pretty unique, with the exception of one other state, and that's Massachusetts, is that the governor and the legislature are exempt from FOIA requests. Now, every other unit of government in the state has to, has to supply this stuff. But the state legislature, that meaning the House and the Senate, are not under that obligation, and nor is the governor's office, which means that we don't have a way to FOIA information about what lobbyists have been emailing your state senator or your state House of Representatives member. We don't necessarily know which people have been able to email the governor on certain things. Now, there are certain cases where lawyers can challenge that and they can, they can ask courts and there could be subpoenas for these sorts of things, but a regular citizen does not have that option. And that's been one of the critiques of Michigan's FOIA law, is that the legislature set it up for everybody else, but once again exempted themselves from the same treatment. Now, this is the kind of thing that drives constituents and voters crazy. Now, the state house yesterday voted on something called the Legislative Open Records Act, and they voted unanimously. It was a 107 nothing vote for this bipartisan 10-bill package. Now, what it's going to do is get, allow citizens to get documents from the legislature and the governor's office under FOIA. However, there are a lot of exemptions that they put in there. So the question that a lot of people are having when they look at this in more in depth is, saying, wait, what, what do we really have access to here? Democrats and Republicans both patting themselves on the back for passing this in a unanimous bipartisan fashion. And they suggest that transparency in state government is long overdue. However, the state Senate, not necessarily on board with this package yet. We don't know exactly why, but they say as written, they're not going to support it. Now, the other thing that's interesting is that there are going to be different rules for who gets to decide whether or not somebody is legally fulfilling 
a request. Now, there's an appeal process. In my old organization, if somebody's filed a FOIA and we rejected it for some reason, and we said, look, we don't have the documents or what you're asking for doesn't exist, somebody could, of course, appeal that. But we had a board that could then vote on that appeal. And people could take us to court if they didn't like the response from that board. They could take us to court, and in certain situations, a judge could say, release all those documents. And that indeed happened a couple of times. It's fine. It is what it is. However, instead of just simply extending Michigan's FOIA laws to the legislature and the governor's office, they put in a bunch of exemptions. Now, this is the one thing that's got me concerned here. There's one, a lack of judicial review for those records requests. So somebody's not going to be able to go to court. If it gets denied, it gets denied. Yeah, there'll be a review process, but it's not going to be in court. And the other thing, too, is there's an exemption for what they're calling constituent communications. Now, this is emails between lobbyists and legislators, citizens and legislators, citizens and the governor, lobbyists and the governor. So a lot of information that you could glean from that email communication about whether or not somebody's been influenced by, for instance, a lobbyist or, or an organization. You know, what's that communication say? We're not going to have access to those emails. Now, granted... I fully understand that there are times when legislators and the governor and any elected official needs to negotiate in private and not have that stuff necessarily open to public scrutiny. There are certain things like developments that may be going on that sometimes you're going to have conversations in private or internal policy discussions. Not every idea that gets tossed out in a meeting of staff is something that's ever going to see the light of day. It could just be spitballing things. You know, you're bouncing stuff off the wall. You're throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what's, what sticks. It doesn't mean that's an idea that's got any traction or that something he discussed something and it's automatically going to become policy. There are certain times when things need to be done behind closed doors, especially as nebulous concepts become something that gets presented to the public. But if there are email communications that sit there and show that somebody maybe was influencing it from the outside, that is something that perhaps people should be able to know about. So by making constituent communications, as they like to call it, and constituent, again, a loose use of the term. If you're talking lobbyists, yes, technically they are constituents, but that's like suggesting, and, and again, the Supreme Court's ruled on this, but that's like saying corporations are people. It's the same kind of thing. It's not the kind of thing that citizens are going to appreciate or necessarily agree with. I'm sorry, but the NRA is not the same as, as Joe Smith, who lives on the corner, who sends an email to his, to his representative. It's different. So constituent communications like email exchanges remaining hidden doesn't exactly add to the public's confidence that this is indeed a transparent situation. Now, some of the other things that would be exempt, any documents or any email exchanges that show any negotiations that were taking place on bills or caucus meetings or investigations. So if you've got some you know, horse trading going back and forth and an email or a talk between a couple of legislators to say, look, give me that vote on this one bill and I'll support yours. Otherwise, that stuff's all going to stay hidden. So that's the kind of stuff that people want to see. So, I mean, any movement towards transparency is welcome. But the fact is, 
there's not a lot that's actually included in this. The kind of stuff that people actually want to see is not going to show up here. Yes, there will be certain records, financial transactions, things like that, that people will be able to see. But often it is those emails that have provided the most illuminating information. Now, if you think about this, it's not going to do a ton. Now, again, any movement towards transparency is a good move on the part of the legislature and the governor's office. But there are broad exemptions here. Exemptions that are large enough to drive a truck through. With the fact that there's no way for a judge to review whether or not a request is legitimate or not, that means that, again, the foxes sort of guard the hen house of information. Now, there would be a separate review committee appointed by the legislature to take a look at this. And I understand their desire to maintain some sort of privacy when it comes to negotiations on delicate issues. I get that. At the same time, there needs to be some sort of way to take a look at this. So anyway, I applaud some gradual move towards towards openness in government, but at the same time, this is not going to get it done. Back to the drawing board. I appreciate it, but don't pat yourselves on the back just yet. you got a long way to go, Lansing. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Stick around. A few thoughts on March Madness coming up next. All right, March is here. March Madness. You filled out your bracket, or at least you're going to turn it in tomorrow at some point, maybe. Maybe you're doing an office pool. Maybe you don't care about college basketball except to see whether or not you win this little thing around. But for me, I like college basketball. I'm not a huge college basketball junkie where I watch every single game or know all the players and all the teams and which teams are winning the Sun Belt Conference or the Horizon Conference. I don't always know these things. But I do know that I love watching the tournament. Thursday and Friday are very, very important days on the sports lover's calendar. And of course, offices will be halted tomorrow. There will be people sitting around at bars and uh, restaurants watching televisions, filling out their brackets, calling in sick for work, all that good stuff. It really has become almost sort of a a four-day weekend kind of a deal, the first weekend of the tournament, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where it gets weeded down to the Sweet 16. Well, all I know is it's always a good year when both Michigan teams are in the tournament, as they seem to be most years. And I've got high hopes for both Michigan State and Michigan in the tournament this year. This Michigan team's got a pretty solid defense. They can score in spurts. They're fun to watch. They've got some serious tournament success. And I think they've actually just got a lot of a lot of grit and good coaching, and I have a feeling that they're going to make another run. Now, it may not make it to the Final Four, but I think Michigan's got a few wins in them this time around, and who knows? We've seen what's happened with them the last few years. They can make it pretty far. Whether or not they can close the deal is another thing. However, the team that I've been most impressed with, especially over the course of the last few weeks, is the Michigan State Spartans. Now, I grew up a Michigan fan. My father went there. But I worked at Michigan State for a couple of years, and I've always had a fierce appreciation for that university, Uh, and I have a lot of respect, of course, for Tom Izzo, the coach there, and that wonderful basketball program he has built over the years. Michigan State seems like it may have all the pieces necessary to make a real run this time around. It could be one of the most solid teams 
that Tom Izzo has had since the Flintstones in terms of whether or not they've got the right pieces to make a run. Now, they've had some stumbles in the tournament in recent years, and I would hate to see that happen again. But personally, this weekend, I'm going to be rooting for Michigan and Michigan State to make the Sweet 16. And of course, next week, we can see if they can make it to the Final Four. It is a possibility. We could see a Michigan-Michigan State clash in the Final Four. And wouldn't that be fun? One can only hope. Spring is upon us. Enjoy it, everybody. Be happy today. It's a big deal. We have made it through the worst. There may still be a little bit of winter's last gasp that we have to deal with, but I have a feeling that we're through it. Anyway, have a great day. We'll talk again tomorrow. Thanks so much for checking out the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.